Lord, we thank you that we are here to study your word. We ask you to, to guide and lead us, help us to see what you would want us to see from all of this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 24. Paul went into the, the uh, temple. They accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple that caused a riot. He was rescued by the centurion and pulled away from the riot. Uh, there was a plan to kill him, so the centurion has sent him over to see the governor of that region to hold court. And that's where we've left Paul. He's been sent out, and the, and the governor and the centurion ordered them, if you want to make charges, you now need to go see Festa, uh, uh, Felix. Uh, so this is, where we're, this is where we're at at the start of chapter 24. Uh, chapter 24, if you like courtroom dramas, this would be right out of any courtroom drama you've ever seen on a TV. Uh, it literally plays out in writing the prosecution's case, most of it, <laughs> and the defense's case. So we have that back and forth that we're going to look at as we go through this one. So starting in verse 1. And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain order named Tertullius, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by you we enjoy great quietness, and, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by your providence, we accept it always, and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I... Be not further tedious unto you. I pray you that you would hear us for your clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also has gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain... Licinius came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come before you by examining of whom yourself may take knowledge of all these things wherein we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. All right, here is the prosecution starting. All right, and we're going to see that they're going to lay out four charges against, against Paul. And we're going to kind of look at each one as they're laid out as we go through this section. They're going, to, they're going to accuse him of four Roman laws that he's violated, supposedly. All right. Now remember, they're upset against Jewish law. This is very reminiscent of when Jesus was put before Pilate. They wanted him killed for blasphemy, which was a Jewish law that he had supposedly, if he was by claiming to be God, you know, he would he'd claim blasphemy. But they couldn't bring him up on charges of blasphemy to Pilate because Pilate would have said, who cares if he claims to be God? We got all kinds of people in the Roman Empire that claim to be gods. So it wouldn't have been a big deal to, to Pilate. So they came up with charges of, he says he's the king of the Jews. So that they changed the charge and they're going to do the same thing here to Paul. They're trying to get him for bringing a Gentile into the temple, but now they're going to change all, all the charges against Paul and give him a whole list of Paul, a list of charges. So it takes him five days before Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders. And any time you're in a Jewish place and they leave Jerusalem, they are descending. Uh, Jerusalem to them is the center of the world. It's on a high mountain. 
So anytime you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up to Jerusalem. Anytime you're leaving Jerusalem, you are going down from Jerusalem. All right. So the Ananias and several of the elders who come in, and with them was a certain orator named Tertullius, orator, lawyer. All right. This is a this is not a Hebrew name. This is a Roman name. Now we know nothing about this guy other than his reference here. So what they did is we're going to a Roman court. We need a Roman lawyer so that he will know what to say, how to, how to handle everything. So they hired a lawyer to go with them. All right. And again, we know nothing. I was out of curiosity. Was this somebody famous in that day or, or what? But there just happens to be a lawyer that they picked who got named in the, in the scriptures. I'm sure he was somewhat famous for, you know, for the area. Uh, but not famous enough to make it in the overall history that I was able to look up. Um, and it says, who informed or um, advocated or gave the accusations. Okay, he's, he's, he's laying out the charges. All right. In, in that day, it wasn't the situation where the court already knows the charges. You go to court today and it's uh, the state of Arizona versus so-and-so with all the charges. In that day, the lawyers had to announce the the charges that they were bringing against the person. And so we see this in there and he is going in and it says, when he was called forth. Now we kind of see this in the very funny thing. When he starts out, all his words are flattery. He is flattering the snot out of Felix. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, you know, we, we've enjoyed great quietness. It is peaceful in your, in your, in your land. You are so wonderful. You're keeping the peace. Uh, you, you are great. You're, all your deeds are worthy of, of benevolence. You're, you're doing a wonderful job, Felix. All right, we're going to boil this down into English. You're doing such a wonderful job. You're, you know, everything is peace here. You know, we're, we're really sorry we have to come to, to your court to waste your time to hear the charges to this guy because you are so good at what you're doing and you're keeping so much peace we shouldn't have to be here. And that's basically what he's saying in a very simplified format here. Uh, we accept always in all places, most noble Felix, with thankfulness. All right. So, but we're going to find out this must be the way court is done in that day because Paul, when we get to Paul's defense, starts out with a similar, not as, not as long-winded as this orator, but he gives, he gives praise to Felix as well. All right. So in many ways, this is the honor. You know, they're recognizing that he is in a seat of authority it is proper. We look at it and say, boy, is he buttering him up trying to get him to listen. All right. Uh, and probably was. All right. He's using a lot of, lot of uh, political language, a lot of expertise in, in buttering him up, which is not what the Jewish leaders would have been able to do. They're so arrogant. I don't think they could have ever said these words to him and, and sounded anything legitimate. And so he's saying, you know, oh, Felix, you're wonderful. You're great. You know, we're, we're so basically we're so privileged to live under your reign because you have everything at peace and there's not no trials until we get to this fellow. <laughs> he was a Roman leader. He's a Roman governor over the Judean over the Judean area. All right. And then in verse four, notwithstanding, however, <laughs> Okay, everything's going good in your kingdom, however, or but. Uh, let me see where the, 
that I be no further tedious unto you, or, or I, don't, you know, I don't want to impede or hinder you. All right? So you know, basically saying, Felix, I'm really sorry we're having to be here, but we have to give you this case. Um, we have found this fellow. Oh, uh, we pray you that you would be hear us with your clemency, a few words, or gentleness. Your gentleness, hear us, listen to us. All right? So again, he's still very much flattering him, saying, um, we're really sorry that we're wasting your time. I'd, I'd rather be anywhere but doing this. Uh, it's a waste of your time. You, you've got better things to do to run the kingdom than to sit here in court. And then he goes with his, and here's, here's his charges that they lay out. Verse 5, for we have found this man, all right, Paul, a pestilent fellow. <laughs> Literally, that means a plague. <laughs> all right. Um, also, it kind of means he causes harm and destroys the peace and has the implication that he destroys morals. The Christian world is destroying morals according to this man. All right? Kind of sounds like today's accusations against Christians. Everywhere those guys go, they cause trouble. You know, they make everybody feel bad because of their, their statements. Second charge, a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world. Now, sedition means to... Uh, work with words or by action rebellion against the government now he has not done any sedition against rome the jews get upset with him however in their in their synagogues and charge him with sedition but he has never wrote he said anything that brings sedition to his charges all right um, so that's number two sedition number three charge a ringleader of the sect of the nazarenes all right in other words Jesus and the disciples were all Nazar from Nazareth or the Galilean area, uh, but they were known as Nazarenes, even though they're actually from Copernicus uh, instead of Nazareth, but they were general, the same place, so they should have actually said of the sect of the Galileans. But he goes, uh, he's one of those Christians. <laughs> all right? Um, and the fourth charge that they're going to give him is, in verse 6, who have gone about to profane the temple. temple. All right, so profane the temple. Now we're going, well, why did they mention this charge? Because it was a Jewish charge. The Romans had freedom of religion or actually tolerance of religion. As long as you did not speak poorly of the Roman gods, you could worship whatever you wanted. You just had to honor the Roman gods as well. Now this did put the Jews and the Christians on a tenuous line with Rome because the Jews did not acknowledge any but one God and the Christians fell under Judaism when they first started. They were considered a sect of Judaism which protected them under the laws because when Israel, when the Jews surrendered to Rome, they surrendered on one condition that they could continue practicing Judaism and Rome allowed it much to their regret <laughs> as everything happened in, in, in the Israeli area because they followed one God, would not, exact, would not acknowledge the Roman gods, but that was part of their agreement with Rome. And yet it irritated all the Roman soldiers who were there because here's a group of people that are violating Roman law but not being punished for violating Roman law by saying there are no such things as the Roman gods. <laughs> 
And Judaism falls under this. Uh, it, the Christian, uh, Christianity, when it first started, fell under Judaism. It was considered a sect of Judaism. And it was for most of the first century, it was considered a branch of Judaism and protected by, by the Jewish laws, which helped to get its feet under it to, to develop. So they were protected. And so these are his four charges against him, against Paul. He is a pestilent fellow. He's bringing trouble everywhere he goes. He is a, uh, working on sedition. He is a follower of the Nazarene, and he has polluted a temple profaned a temple, which was against the rules. You couldn't go into any other temple and cause problems in that temple. Now, they bring, a, they bring a fifth charge as well, but not against Paul. All right? Um, verse 6 says, For, And we would have judged him according to our laws, but the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us and with great violence took him away from out of our hands. Do you understand what they're charging him with this on this? Police brutality. Police brutality is nothing new. At least the charges of it are nothing, are nothing new. They're going, he came rushing in and forcefully took him away from us. And with great violence, they're leaving it with, he, he hurts people in, in taking Paul away, which very well might have happened. Because they came in with a great force, surrounded Paul, and carried him out of the group. Now, there's no mention of deaths or anything, but... The Roman soldiers were not very nice when they were in crowd control. <laughs> there probably was violence. Uh, probably not enough to justify the charge that they're making against him. So this individual, Tertullius, is bringing five charges before Felix. Four against Paul and one against the Roman government. How could a Jew make a charge against the Roman government? Remember, Tertullius is, not a, is Roman. He's representing, he's representing Jews, but he's following Roman law. They had the right to do anything they wanted to the servants, but the servants had rights as well. They're, they're, they had pages and books of rules for, for the slaves and for the, the conquered people that had to be, had to be followed. Yeah, well, they were going to do something. They were going to execute him. Uh, and so we were you know, saying we were all set to... To judge him by our laws, and this Roman soldier came in and took him by force. So actually, there's two violations they're claiming here. He stepped into our authority and took our authority away, and he did it violently. There's a lot of little nuances to this charge that they're saying against the Roman government. So this guy's pretty brave to make these charges, not just against Paul, but against the government. And, you know, lawyers do trust in the law. Right now, you know, for the longest time, it was liberal lawyer group. <laughs> I can't remember the initials at the moment. That was fighting all the time, fighting for these things. Now it's coming out. The Christian groups are coming in and fighting for the rights of Christians. Even though everything is working against them, they go the court of law still is out there. The laws are still out there. Whether people like them or not, the laws are there. And this is what he's saying. You know, hey, he had no right to come and take them, and he shouldn't have done it so violently. So he's laying out a case now against Rome as well, saying you guys have violated your own rules. You know, we've, we have violated the rules and the laws that are out there. All right, so this is a pretty serious thing, and this is a very bold, bold uh, prosecutor uh, laying out charges against both, both groups. 
And then he says in verse 8, and he also commanded his accusers to come to you <laughs> so that you could examine this case, that you may have knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. So, you know, if it wasn't for that uh, soldier over there, we wouldn't be here wasting your time, Felix. And he's laying out his charges. In verse 9 it says, and the Jews assented saying that all these things were so. In other words, he called witnesses of some sort. Whatever, whatever they were able, they were coming up and giving their, their versions of the story and supposedly agreeing with his, with his case. We have here the prosecutor giving his case. We have the Jewish people giving their testimony about what happened. They're not going to do a whole lot more on this, you know, but they're going to tell about the riot. They probably told about the riots that happened all throughout the uh, Roman Empire. They told them about the riot that happened in Jerusalem. You know, maybe brought maybe brought some eyewitnesses of people that had been hurt when the when this uh, when the centurion came in and took the took Paul out of their out of their presence. Uh, we're going to find out nobody else was there. None of the eyewitnesses were there because Paul's going to challenge part of his defense is where are my accusers? You know, you didn't bring any of my accusers. Where are they? Is one of the things he's going to say. And Paul is pretty brilliant as a defense law defense lawyer himself. And being a Roman citizen, obviously somewhere in the line, he has had training, not just in Jewish law, but Roman law, because he's going to quote all kinds of Roman law in his defense. And it's going to be very, he's going to be very bold in his, in his defense as well. And he's going to stand. These are the laws. These are the laws. And we're going to look at that. Any questions on the first, first nine verses? On the, on the, so we have... Four charges against Paul, two, at least two against the, against the Romans, and Felix is now ready to hear the defense after, after the Jews have agreed with all these charges. Whose side is he on? He's supposed to be impartial. We'll find out that he's not all that impartial. Because at the end he tells us he was hoping for a bribe. He's very, very impartial unless somebody gives him money. So Paul's defense. Paul's defense starts in verse 10 and goes through verse 21. Then Paul, after the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that you have been here many years as a judge unto this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself, because that you may understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they, found, they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto you, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and the prophets, and have hope toward God that they themselves should also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And therein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Now after many years I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been there be here before you, to and object if they had aught against me, or else let these same here say that if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing out among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in to question by you this day. All right. Here's Paul. And 
you might not catch all the nuances of this defense that he's given. Uh, but he's being, very, he's being very bold in his own way. All right? First off, he says, hey, you know, Governor, I know you've been here many judges of the nations, and I'm glad to be here before you. It's not quite as flowery as uh, Tertullius was, but he is, you know, I recognize that you're a good judge. You know, you, and he's saying, I recognize you as a fair judge, a, a righteous judge. He's saying, he's giving him, he's giving him some praise. He's not, he's not attacking him. Uh, he says, you've been here, you've been here, and he says, but I want you to understand, it was only 12 days ago that I went to Jerusalem to worship. So 12 days have passed since the riot, the attempted, the attempted assassination of Paul and the, and the riot in the, in the council. He goes, only 12 days have been there. And he says, this is quite nuanced, I went there to worship. All right. What was their charge? He was there and profaned the temple. He's going, I went there to worship. So he's answering the first charge. I was not there to cause problems in the temple. I was there to do what was right, to worship. And then he goes in verse, uh, verse 12. They neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, nor raising up a people, neither in the synagogues nor in the cities. So now he's answering the other two charges. I wasn't there causing problems. I wasn't trying to destroy morals and, and cause a pestilence. I wasn't there raising up an army. They didn't find me with anybody. I was there worshiping God. So he's, he's you know, answering now three of the charges against him so far. All right. Uh, and then there's three, uh, 13. Neither can they prove the things whereof they accuse me. The Romans were the first one to introduce the concept of innocent until proven guilty or presumption of innocence. They were the first nation to do it right at the time that this was going on. So Paul is going, this guy hasn't proved a case. He's, they've given me a bunch of accusations, but they have not proved a case. They have not produced any eyewitnesses. They have not proved, they have not produced a bit of evidence. And this is the stuff we get in our courts today by the defense lawyers. Well, they talked a big game. They, they put a lot of circumstances up there, but they have not proved anything. And this is Paul saying, ah, oh, they've talked a big game. They've charged me of things, but I was there worshiping. They didn't find me with a group of people. They didn't find me with an, an army being raised up. They was not inciting a riot when they found me. They can't prove anything that they are charging. And so Paul's defense is pretty strong. He says, this is Roman law. I'm innocent unless they prove it Prove it, prove me guilty. And it didn't always work that way, just in our courts. It doesn't always work that you can be proved guilty, uh, innocent. Uh, but then he goes, but. He says, I confess unto you. All right? So the fourth charge was to be the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he's a pretty important person in that, in that group. So he goes, I confess. I, you know, there's one charge I'm going to admit to. I'm going to admit that you there's one charge out there. He says that after the way. Now remember in Acts, the way refers to Christians. All right, that's what they were called, the followers of the way, or simply the way. It was in Antioch that they were first called Christians, and when we were first called Christians, it was an accusation. The, when it was in Antioch, they were saying, you're nothing but a bunch of little Christ followers or Christ imitators. And the Christian church kind of liked that idea because that's what we were called to be. And they just, 
they just took over the name. Um, so, but at first they were called the way. So when you see the way in Acts, most of the time it refers to Christianity. All right, so he says, I am a follower of the way. You know, I confess that I'm a follower of the way. I'm a follower of the, the, the sect of the Nazarenes as they, as they used in a negative, negative note. What were they trying to do with that charge? Instead of using their title, they were going, well, this sect of the Nazarene, we don't recognize them as a, they have not been recognized as a Jewish, Jewish branch, so we're going to charge them with being the leader of that group, and Paul's bringing it back to, no, I'm, I'm a follower of the way. The way has got the protection, all right? Uh, and so the way which they call heresy, all right? So now he's saying this is a religious dispute is what he's telling them in this case. It's not a legal dispute. They believe one way. We believe another. They call it heresy. We call it the truth. Religious wars are some of the worst ones to get into. Uh, the Catholic Church for years attacked everybody who disagreed with them and called them heretics and burnt them and killed them and tortured them. But you know, the reformers, when they started, were no, no better off. Uh, Luther and Knox and all those guys, they killed anybody who claimed to be Catholic in their realms, and they claimed anybody who wasn't one of their sect. So the, the followers of Knox killed the Luther, Luther, uh, Lutherans, the Lutherans killed the men from Knox and the Tyndales, and they all said, we have the truth, and anybody who doesn't follow us deserves to die. I am sure glad that the church isn't that divided in as harshly anymore. Now, we can have bad arguments. We can have bad arguments against each other. But right now, we're not losing our life again just because we don't believe in some other denomination's uh, belief system. Now, there can be some arguments. There can be some attacks, but nothing like what was being done. Uh, and this is what Paul is saying. You know, I'm just being accused of not agreeing with them. Uh, you know, we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He's the Messiah. He's risen again, and they don't agree with it, and they're calling us heretics. And so this is what he's going through. So worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets. Here's another action. This one, he's not digging at Felix. He's putting a dig at the high priest and the elders. I believe everything written in our scriptures. Implication, you don't. Right? You are picking and choosing what you want to believe. And this is part of the problem even with denominationalism. If they see something that they don't agree with and it doesn't match what they believe, they throw it out of the Bible and refuse to acknowledge it. That's why huh? So here is his, his belief. He goes, I'm under... The whole reason I'm here before you is because they don't believe what I believe. Now, again, he's, he's making also the reference to religious tolerance in Rome. Note that he hasn't said, I'm, he said nothing about attacking the Roman guards, uh, gods. He said nothing about this. He goes, all I am is in disagreement with their religion, and now they've got me in here in front of you. Now, if they had asked him about, you know, do you believe in Mercury and Zeus and all that, he might have had a problem. But there's no cross-examination in that to get there. But he's saying, I'm here because I disagree with their religion, so they put me in here. So he's going, I'm, I'm innocent until they prove me guilty. 
The whole reason, I, and he goes, none of these things have happened anyway. They didn't find me with a group of people. They didn't find me disputing with anybody. They found me worshiping according to the rules. And then he's going, I'm here because I, they disagree with my doctrine. And you know, so he's going, hey, there's, there's tolerance to my religious view, so why am I standing here? You know, uh, he's being pretty strong on this. And it says, and then verse 15, he goes, I have a hope toward God, which they themselves also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. In other words, he's saying, I believe in a resurrection. Now, this is, a, this is pushing his defense again, to Felix, all right? He's going back to remember when he was first arrested and making his case, uh, when he was first arrested and he was sent to the council, and it wasn't going his way because they were violating their own rules, hitting him as, when he spoke his defense. And he saw that the group was split between Sadducees and Pharisees. And he says, I'm here because I believe in the resurrection and caused a riot in the, in the council, which was the second time the, the guard had to rescue him, the, the, like, like Sirius had to rescue him. And so he says, I'm here because I believe in the resurrection, which they allow because there's a sect of them. And probably in, even amongst the elders, there were some of them believed in resurrection and some of them were Sadducees that didn't. He goes, they believe it. They, they, in the Judaism, they allow for the belief of the resurrection. And I'm here because I believe that the Messiah was resurrected. So he's, giving his, he's starting to give a testimony as well as his defense. And Paul's always going to put in his testimony when he's, when he's defending. Uh, and he goes, I believe there's going to be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Everybody is going to be brought back. And there will come a time at the end of days when the unjust will be resurrected as well. Now we as followers of Christ, when we die, we get to go from this body into the presence of God and we'll get our glorified bodies, whatever that is, and come back at the white throne judgment. Those that have been lost will stand at the white throne judgment to be bound up and sent to hell for, uh, to the lake of fire for eternity. When they first die, they are sent to hell, which is holding place or if you like, if you understand the judicial system, it's jail. It's jail as opposed to prison. All right. Uh, neither one are good, but they're temporarily being held in hell or until they are cast into the lake of fire because at the end of Revelation, it tells us that death and hell is cast into the lake of fire for, for eternity. So hell isn't the permanent place. Hell is the holding cell that they're going to have. About the same, you're burning and you have the conscience burning. It's, the actual description of it is, is no different, but, but the scriptures does tell us that death and hell, uh, death and hell and will be cast into the lake of fire. Uh, so I don't know what the difference is other than the length of time. Hell is a, hell is a holding place until you're sent, to, and sent into the lake of fire. Uh, but hell is spoken of just as bad as, as the lake of fire is. So I don't think either one of them is any good other than at least when you get out of, the, out of hell for a moment to stand before the white throne judgment where you're going to be found guilty and sent into the lake of fire. Uh, well, God, I came out of jail. I stood in court. It was nice and air conditioned there. It was wonderful to be, in, be, be in standing at the throne of heaven. And then you sent me down to the lake of fire. And I started all over with this burning stuff for, for eternity. Uh, so... so Paul believes, like, you know, I'm here because I believe in the resurrection specifically the resurrection of Jesus, but he's also pointing out the resurrection of 
all things, which is what the Jewish, certain of the Jewish sects believe in. And again, we bring this up. I always want us to remember, Judaism is not a monolithic group that believes the same thing. They all have, they're broken down into so many sectors. The, the three basic ones are the Orthodox Jews who pretty much believe the Bible, the Reformed Jews that believe some of the Bible and throw some of the Bible out at their will, and the ones that are just Jewish by birth and say they don't believe in anything to do with Judaism. Now, within those groups, you've got all kinds of branches. All right? You've got the Orthodox Jews that believe every single word and know that they right now are in trouble because they're not offering sacrifices. You've got another group that says all of it's done by good works. You know, they are not, they're very much like Christianity with all our little denominations fighting amongst each other at times. And this happens with Judaism. And this is the very funny, because we always think of Judaism as this great big monolithic block of people that all believe the same thing. And they're not. You know, even within the three major groups, they're not, they're not one big monolithic group within those. And so here's Paul saying, hey, they allow for the belief of the resurrection. I can prove that it's biblical. And he says, and the problem is that I believe all the scripture and, and these guys don't. He doesn't say that clearly, but he's putting that little dig at them. And I'm not sure that Felix, because he's Roman, even understood that dig. You know, but I can tell you who did. Ananias and the elders definitely understood when he says, I believe all of the, of the law and the prophets. And that would very much probably, you know, I can, I can see them wanting to scream at him, which is what they had done in their court. They had violated all their rules because even by the rules of their court, he was able to stand up and make his defense and not be interrupted. And he was not allowed to do that. Just like Jesus was not allowed to do it. This, the, the Jewish court at this point is a very, very corrupt court. If they've, they've sentenced you before they even bring you to case. It's a kangaroo court at that point in time. And Paul's really getting his digs in on the upper court. And this happens even in our system where people attack the, the lower court of not giving them their rights and not not allowing things to be said and, and letting things be said that shouldn't have been said. This is what Paul's getting into. Um, and, you know, hey, they didn't prove their case. I'm here just because they disagree with me religiously, which is against Roman law. So he's laying out his case, and it's much more nuanced than what we read without understanding the, the laws that he's dealing with. And I hope everybody's catching this. I mean, he's, this is a pretty powerful one. We just read through it and go, all right, Paul, you're giving a defense. Big deal. But this is quite a nuanced defense. Um, verse 16 says, And herein do I exercise or strive or labor myself to have always have a conscience void of offense toward God and man. He goes, I try to be good. I try to do good, do right to God and do right before men. And so he's saying, you know, they're charging me about being a pestilence or a corrupter of morals. They're charging with me being a troublemaker because I'm working hard to make sure that I'm not, that I have nothing wrong before God and before men. So he's countering all their arguments that they're making. Um, and then it says, now after many years, I came and to bring alms to my nation and an offering. All right. How many years? Most people believe that this is, that he was, had been away for about 14 years. And this comes from Galatians uh, 2, 1, where he said that he'd been away from, from Jerusalem 14 years. After he got saved, he was away for 14 years and then came back. So 
many people, and I'm not sure if that's right or not, but I'm just giving to you what you'll, what you'll find, that he'd been away 14 years traveling on his mission journeys, and now he's back at Jerusalem. If it's not 14 years, it's more than 14 years. <laughs> All right? Uh, so he says, I've been away for, for years. Have several years I've been away, and he came, I came back with an offering for my people. And this was referred to in Acts 11, uh, verses 29 on, and 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. Paul said, all on his last missionary journey, he's going to churches. We're collecting this money to go to Jerusalem. Right? And he encouraged them, send some people with me. You don't want, I don't want to touch it. And Paul was being very wise in that. He goes, I don't want to handle the money. I don't want anybody thinking of being able to say when I get to Jerusalem that I took my cut of the money. He goes, I want others. You guys pick who goes with me. They will handle the money. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And this is a wise standard for any pastor or teacher in a church to not touch the money. In our church, I don't touch the money. I don't pay the bills. I don't... I don't uh, uh, handle the income. It's all handled by our treasurer. And now I do help, you know, help spend it. <laughs> but I have to go through the treasurer. I don't have, I cannot sign a check. I cannot pull money out of the, out of the offerings. I do not want to touch it because I want to be like Paul. Uh, you all, you know, it wasn't me. I did not do anything to do with this. And Paul said, all I came back to Jerusalem was is to deliver an offering. <laughs> huh? Uh, Acts 11, 29 through the end of the chapter, and 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. Uh, those are the two primary. There's other obscure references to it, but those are two pretty straightforward references to this offering that he collected for the church. And because what was happening in, in Jerusalem, when people got saved, they were being uh, isolated from their families and rejected. So many of these people had businesses, Nobody would come to their business. If they were living at home, they got kicked out of home. This still happens in Orthodox Judaism today. If somebody becomes a Christian or a Muslim or any other religion other than Orthodox Jew, their families will, some of the families will go so far as to hold a funeral for their child that, that is an apostate as far as they can understand. They left the faith. I know a man who did just that. He became a Christian and his family literally had a funeral, and buried the casket. They, they considered him dead. They would not accept a phone call from him. They, they got letters. As far as he knows, they threw them away. He rejected, they rejected him completely because he dared to turn away from Judaism. And so this is what happened in Jerusalem. These people were getting saved. They were being rejected. Nobody would come to their, you know, they're they a Christian. Nobody would come to their business. This kind of stuff happens in the Muslim world when somebody becomes a Christian. They are isolated. They are kicked out of their family if they're lucky. Sometimes they're killed by their family. Uh, if they're independent and have a business, nobody will come to their business because they are a Christian. Uh, so they end up going broke. And so it is a big deal to become a Christian under these environments because you're going to pay. You're going to pay with everything that you own, all the business that you have, your family, and so it's a big deal. And we in America don't understand why somebody would be kicked out of a family just because they disagree with them. But, you know, but how do we feel as Christians, and most of you may not have raised up your kids in the Christianity, but how do you feel when your Christians don't follow Jesus? 
know, even if you're older and you want them to follow Jesus, and you're going, you've, learned, you've learned the truth and you want them to follow Jesus, while we may not disown them, it hurts to follow, see them following some other way, which is one of the crazy things I hear from, from Christians. We want our kids to make their own decisions about Jesus. I'm going, okay, you want them to go to hell so they can make their own decisions. You teach them. You know, my kids didn't necessarily like it, but every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, they had a place to go. They didn't always like it, but they were going to church. Uh, they had the right to make whatever decision they wanted, but they were going to be indoctrinated into Christianity before they were going to make a decision. They were going to know all about Christianity. And they've all followed, they've all made professions of Christ. Uh, you know, but I'm not one to say, well, I'm just going to let my kids decide to go to hell. You know, I'll just let them do whatever they want because you know what? They're going to follow the world and they're going to choose hell, especially if I don't believe what I believe enough to, to tell them about it and encourage them to go that direction. You know, so I am all for brainwashing children in the gospel message you know, because the world is going to try to brainwash them against the Christian message. So I'm all for teaching children God's way. Now, if they want to make their own decision later on, they don't have to, they don't have to follow God, and many of them don't. But I am all for getting them in church, teaching them the Bible, praying with them at home, teaching them at home the Bible. And that consistency will get them to follow Christ. Because most of the teens that I have dealt with, their biggest problem with their Christian parents are they go to church on Sunday morning and nothing about Jesus from that point on. That just tells them that their parents are hypocrites. You know, when their parents don't read the Bible, they don't follow God, they don't, they don't seek after God, they're going out, there's nothing to that. We're, kids and children are looking for something that's real. They want to see that there is something with power, something that is real out there. And when we live it before them in our daily life, that speaks volumes to our children, speaks volumes to everybody, that I'm going to live God's way. And I saw that greatly one time, and I think I've told the message, I got pulled over by the police driving the church van because I didn't see the speed limit sign change. And my reaction to the police was very respectful and all of that, and the kids were going, well, you should hear my dad when he gets pulled over. Implication, dad was not honoring the police. <laughs> didn't live out what he said to honor authority. What did that give me? I hated being pulled over, especially in the church van. But it gave me the opportunity to speak to those teens that weekend that we were driving down to Phoenix over because they saw something different than they were used to at home. They saw somebody that, okay, you guys always talk about honoring authority. You just did it. Even though, you know, you know and then they looked at the difference between their parents and what I did and drew away a bridge between us. So one of those things that all things work together for good. Now, luckily, I did not get a ticket. I got a warning. So, but God did use that as a means to move forward. Do we, and this is what we talked about this morning, what is our foundation of our life? Do I follow God and live on that foundation? And this is where Paul is coming down to. I've got a good conscience. You know, I came here just to bring an offering to my people. You know, I, we collected this money and I'm bringing it to my people and this is what I'm here for. And then verse 18, whereupon certain Jews from Asia, again he points out who the, who the troublemakers are, found me purified in the temple. 
So again, he says, I wasn't profaning the temple. I was following the rules. I was following everything. I was pure in the temple by the Jewish rules. And then beyond that, he goes, neither with the multitude nor with the tumult. In other words, they, account, they, account, they called me a troublemaker. They called me a acting sedition. They did not find me this way. They found me worshiping God and purification rites. So again, he's chastising the, the high priest in that council. He's saying, I'm following the rules. I haven't done anything that they have charged me with. And again, he's now, char he's now kind of threatening, you know, going to Felix. He goes, look, they charged. I'm innocent until they prove me guilty. Here's my case. I wasn't guilty in front of the council. I wasn't guilty in front of the, uh, in the temple when I, was, when I was arrested. I was following everything. They didn't find me with a gang of people. Here's their charges they're making against me, and none of these charges are valid, except for the one that he confessed to, that he's a Christian. He didn't deny that one. And now he goes, in verse 19, who ought to have been here before you to object if they had ought against me. In other words, where are my accusers? If there are really, you know, these Jewish people from, from Asia should be here. If I really did something and they saw me do something, they should be here before the court to bring the charges. And what he's saying is, where are the eyewitnesses? Where are the evidence? You know, where are my accusers? Again, our judicial system has its roots in the Roman judicial system. They have the same thing. You're presumed innocent. You have to have your accuser stand up before you to accuse you. And Paul is saying, the accusers aren't here. They've lied about the charges. The accusers who might be able to tell you anything aren't here. So he's laying out his case. All right, Felix, nobody's here. Here's the laws. Nobody's here. Now he's not going, you know, rule 15.1.3.9.2, but he's exercising on and say, here's the rules. Here's the rules, Felix. I am not guilty of any of these charges. They didn't find me with a group of people. They didn't find me causing trouble. They didn't find me violating the temple, the, you know, the, the charges against by the, laid against me by these Asian uh, Jews did not, did not find me doing this. As a matter of fact, where are they? All right. uh, they're not here. They're the ones that caused all this trouble, and they aren't here before the court. And then he goes on, and he said, or else that these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council. Now, this is a dangerous place because they're likely to lie because they're, they're, they have a habit of lying. But basically saying, okay, you know, this high priest and, and these elders, if they have a case, let them give it, to, give it to you. Do they have firsthand knowledge of any activity? Because they had the same rules. You couldn't bring secondhand evidence. They couldn't bring to them and say, well, those guys that aren't here said, <laughs> all right, which you can't do in our courts. You cannot bring secondhand information. It has to be firsthand information for it to be permissible in court. And this is what Paul's saying. Hey, if they've got something that they can say firsthand, let's, you know, did they even hear anything in their, in their counsel? Did they, and they didn't have long to speak because they kept beating on Paul. So they didn't have a very long trial. He opened his mouth, they hit him. He said, you know, why would you hit me? It's against the rules. And they go, you dare to speak against the high priest? I didn't know that was the high priest. He knew that he was in front of a kangaroo court and said, I'm, I believe in the resurrection and caused a riot. That was the one place where he did cause a riot. 
you know, knowing what he was going to do when he did this. And that's what he says in verse 21. Except it be for this one voice <laughs> that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the damned, am I called in question of you today? So he says, there was one riot that, that I instigated. He goes, I accepted that I, I stated that I believed in the resurrection. And he's not saying I instigated it. He goes, but I spoke these words and there was a riot. All right. So he's made two admissions to guilt as he's going through. One, I'm a Christian. Two, I did say I believed in the resurrection and that caused problems. That's the only place where a riot broke out around me. So he's given kind of an interesting defense. <laughs> he's giving Felix two places where he can cause a problem. The first, he would have trouble. I'm a Christian. At this point in time, that's accepted in Rome. Now, a few years later, it won't be accepted in Rome. Rome will be killing Christians. But at this point that Paul's speaking, it is okay to be a Christian or a Jew in this case, because he's saying I'm a follower of the way. All right. So this is Paul's defense as he gets done. Uh, they never found me amongst a group of people causing problems. I wasn't trying to instigate an army. They never found me with a group of an army. I was not profaning the temple. As a matter of fact, I was worshiping God. I, they found me in a pure, after I'd finished the purification rites. And even then, they didn't find me with a, a group of people. So he's going, charge one, two, and four, no, no basis on. He goes, now I will admit to number three, I am a Christian. And he goes, and... When in my defense I said that I believe in the resurrection, a riot broke out. And he's not, not saying that he caused it, but he goes, when I said these words, a riot broke out. Now, he knew that there was going to be a problem when he said those words. Now, does Felix know that he knew that? No. Felix doesn't understand what this big deal about the resurrection and all of that is all about. He just knows, okay, we've got a problem here. And so this is where we are. So here now we've had the prosecution's case and we've had the defense's case. And we're going to end it here because there's only five minutes left and I don't want to get into the judgment. And we'll get to Felix's answer to this in a, in next, uh, next we meet. Uh, but this is just one of those. I, I love the way the Bible puts this in there. It gives us a beautiful picture of Roman courts going on. And you have to know a little bit about the Roman court system to understand all the nuances of what are going, or what are, what's being said and what's, what's going on. And, and Paul definitely understood Roman law. He is playing Roman law to his defense in a very, very strong way. And he's putting little digs at the, at the elders and, and the high priest that they can't respond to because Felix doesn't understand that they're digs. If they respond, then they look petty in the court of law. And I think he was hoping that they would respond. Because how often do the lawyers say things and do things to get a reaction from the other side? And Paul was looking and going, well, I'm going to put this little dig in and see if they're going to respond. Are they, really, are they, going, to, are they going to respond and look bad before the, before the governor? Because he's not going to understand what this was, and they're going, to, they're going to attack, and he's going to realize how petty and vindictive they are. And so he's putting these little little jabs in, little, little pokes in. And he's also doing it to Felix. He goes, this is the law, Felix. You know, he's poking him too. He goes, here's the laws. He's doing it gently, but he's reminding him, here's the rules. I'm innocent. They haven't proved their case. 
There's, there's religious tolerance. I'm here just because they disagree with my religious views. So over and over again, we see these, this little battle going on. And he's saying, this is what you guys believe. This is what you say. Are you going to hold it? Are you going to hold up the law or not? So he's challenging Felix to say, what are you going to do? Are you going to hold up law? Now, one of the problems is Felix is a governor. He can make laws on his own. All right, there are laws that came out of the Roman Senate, but the leaders of these, these governors and everything kind of made up their own laws as they went along. There was the higher court. You could keep going and, and make them look bad by appealing. They had a full appeal system all the way up to Caesar, which is where Paul is going to eventually appeal to Caesar because he, he wants to go preach to Caesar. So the, the Caesar he's going to go meet is Nero. He's going to get to go meet Nero who's going to take his head off of him. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this. Help us to really understand your word and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.